Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast, brought to you in partnership with Boris Effects and our sponsor, Jump Desktop. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a working film and TV editor. For the last eight years, I've done more than 360 interviews with the world's best editors. I've been using Boris Effects products for more than 20 years, and I'm proud to partner with them to bring you some great filmmaking content. Today, on Art of the Cut, we're talking about the film The Banshees of Inishirin with Oscar-winning film editor Mikkel E.G. Nielsen, ACE. Mikkel joined us previously on Art of the Cut for The Sound of Metal, which won him the Oscar, Anna BAFTA, and an ace nomination. His other films include Beasts of No Nation, A Royal Affair, and The Outsider. Before I hop into my discussion with Mikkel, a brief thank you to our sponsors. Jump Desktop is a high-performance and secure app that lets you virtually connect to your editing bay as if you were physically there. Keep all your assets in one place and connect to your powerful editing base from anywhere. Jump Desktop's high-performance remote desktop protocol lets you edit from any low-powered laptop. With end-to-end encryption, native support for macOS and Windows, and multi-monitor support, you can be productive from anywhere. Jump Desktop also has collaborative screen sharing for collaboration with your team. See what thousands of editors have been using to get their work done from across the world. Visit jumpdesktop.com cut to begin your free No Limits 14-day trial today. And to our partner, Boris FX. I've been using Boris FX and Sapphire for more than 20 years, so they're not just a sponsor to me. I feel like they've been a partner in my cutting room for decades, helping me to deliver on the creative vision of my clients, directors, and producers. For all of us, our work is about bringing a creative idea to the screen, and for me, Boris FX is one of the important tools that I use to do that. To see how they can help you on your latest project, check out all their tools, including Sapphire and Mocha Pro, at borisfx.com. Also, if you want to read this interview with great visual support, go to aotc.borisfx.com slash art-of-the-cut. That site also has other great filmmaking content, so keep that bookmarked. And now my discussion with Oscar-winning film editor Mikkel E.G. Nielsen, ACE, about the editing of the film The Banshees of Inishirin. To start off with, when you got this gig, did you watch or rewatch In Bruges or any of the director's other work? I didn't. No, I read the script uh, and then went to Ireland for a meeting with Martin. Mostly just to talk about chemistry and personality between the two of us and if this could work out. And it had to be a very fast turnaround because John Gregory, who was the editor of In Bruges and Three Billboards, uh, died right before they started shooting. So he was supposed to do the film, of course. So I was um, brought in uh, because of these sad circumstances. So I read the script, went for a meeting, and then we like, shake hands that this could hopefully work out. Is there any research at all that you do when you're working with somebody new to see maybe what their style is or anything like that? Or do you figure it's a new project and new circumstances and the director's previous work doesn't matter? No, obviously it matters because they could have a language. But I knew of Martin. I had seen the films, so I knew what kind of films he's doing. But then I read this script and somehow felt it was very different. And I haven't seen his plays. Uh, I know of him as a playwright, but I've never seen them, given that I'm from Denmark. But I knew of him uh, and I felt when I read it, it was more hybrid 
somehow. It's a hybrid of his earlier stage work and then also his films. And then given that it was taking place in Ireland, I knew of his backstory that he himself has Irish parents grew up in England. So I just found the whole thing very intriguing. Uh, and then I was very interested in seeing, can I work with comedy and drama, which I've never really tried and see, can I as an editor, that's the craft or that's the craftsman talking, uh, just to see what can I learn from this experience also, beside what I can give the project. But there's something that I can learn from working with a writer and director like him uh, and especially on finding a balance between uh, light and dark and this comedy and drama and that was super intriguing for me yeah uh you mentioned that he is best known or many people know him as a playwright yeah. he's uh, written almost all of his own projects if not all of them he wrote banshees the dialogue is sparse i mean i would love to know how long the script was i would think it was short are you more careful with a writer director especially somebody like him with say deciding you're going to cut a couple of lines of dialogue i would treat this just the same way that i would treat everyone because it's about treating everything with respect but that said there's a huge quality with working with people who's also written their own scripts because it seems like you can dig a little deeper about understanding the, the characters, why they do what they do. Also, just like uh, plot-wise, if you have like an idea, it's easier just to say, no, you can't do that because this and this and this. So I think there's a huge quality to that for sure. Um, I would always treat uh, material with the deepest respect and I would always uh, come up with suggestions and options of, of what is possible and what we can do and what not but I didn't treat Martin's material completely different than I treated Darius's material and Sound of Metal for example he also wrote his own script and directed it, it it's more about me asking sometimes a lot of the stupid questions maybe uh, and just try to understand why is the characters actually doing this and this and this but with this script i found it interesting what it does uh, when what a laugh can do in a scene how it opens you up and you almost get open to taking other things in. And then, first of all, I found it incredibly funny, but also very moving. And character-wise, I could see myself a little bit in some of the characters. And then it's about finding that balance and, and simplicity and making it as simple as possible, almost. like So the premise is so simple. <laughs> and then it's almost like an onion. You put layers on, you add layers all the time, all the time. So it becomes more and more and more. It's, it, it's all about these characters. And if you believe in them and if you understand them, you almost buy everything. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that it's almost easier to ask some of those questions when it's a writer-director because they're so familiar you know, with everything, with the meaning of a line or whatever. Well, meaning of the line, but also meaning of why the character does what the character does and, and understanding the characters. It has to come from somewhere. And I'm not ask I'm not asking Martin, for example, what does it mean or what are the, the, the topics or why what are you trying to say? Because I actually do like people who try not to explain their own work in a sense, but it's more what I put into the characters and then sometimes it, it <laughs> it goes hand in hand. And on this one, I had a really, really good uh, relationship in the edit room. It was a very nice edit process. And you guys were able to work side by side? So I did 
uh, what I would normally do to get all the material and do a first assembly. Didn't talk about the script at all. And I would show the first assembly full. And that's where we start working together. Mm -hmm. So I would uh, do everything from Copenhagen. And then I moved to London, where we would set uh, day one and showed him everything. And I mean, hopefully that's that's the dream that <laughs> the person will like some of at least some of the ideas or some of the, or maybe it's more about the pace and more about the understanding or the, the structure or how maybe even the rhythm of things. It's to try and find these things because you know, you know that you're going to work on character work you know that you're going to work on structure uh, on all these things that has to be found together and i also have to understand what he likes and what he doesn't like and so sometimes i take like uh, chances or maybe i don't choose necessarily what i like the best maybe it's also about trying things with the characters with the different actors just to see what what it actually does when you see it with the fresh eyes or with someone in the room as well and and especially on this one, it was super interesting because Martin goes through all the dailies and he writes down line by line what he likes from which take, which is like a dream scenario, obviously, because the way I select and the way I put structure things is that I can easily find all the different lines very fast. I put everything up after each other uh, and there i can also do a very fast uh, first assembly so we would go through all scenes based on his notes based on what he wanted to try on the different takes and then we would see it and obviously we would also work on structure if there's any structure work that needs to be done but i didn't feel that there was a lot of structure obviously there's a lot of tightening and maybe things that you don't necessarily need to explain and often we do try to hold back on things that if it's possible that, that we don't have to explain it, I tend to choose that road if it's possible. So we very fast, we got to a pretty good point on the movie. And then it's about the different characters. Because then at the first pass, one of the characters would be obviously much stronger than the other one. So it's, it's about status in the scenes. And also for me, it should feel as natural as possible. Where does the eye want to look and what characters do you want to look at at certain points? So hopefully when you watched it, it should feel like it was you were just taking really good care in your hand. And, and it's not showy, but it's at least it's just bringing you into this world and you're in it for an hour and 54 minutes or how long it is. And then you enter it without not really noticing that the techniques or how, how we're trying to, to move your eye around. Yeah, I would say that was the case. I, I take a lot of notes usually when I watch a film, and this one I had none, basically, because I just got so engrossed in the film that I forgot that I was supposed to be watching it for work, kind of. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you accomplished well, a great thing. So, Well, thank you. No, but but that is it's it, it's not supposed to be showy. Right. It, it's all about these characters and it's character, character, character. And then Martin's script is so uh, rich, and and the dialogue is also almost often uh, almost uh, like duels, like uh, in a western. You would have 
these two just firing at each other or all the characters doing that, which I really liked. I enjoyed very much uh, working on these dialogue scenes. But then we would create these uh, pocket holes or these montages or these uh, pauses or chapters in the film, which would allow you to bring your own stuff in and also look at the beauty of of the island and and also the so the whole island and also the animals on the island uh, with music so you actually almost don't have any music score in a scene mm-hmm. it often starts at the back end of a, a dialogue scene and then it ends before a new one it's like small chapters uh, transitions and Transitions, yeah. And then uh, at a certain point towards the ending, we start implementing these things when to to highlight or to darken um, our main character's uh, way to see things. But also because then we know that in the third act that we start having play with time. It's much more about the voiceover and it's much more like a montage of time passing and you show something, but maybe you tell something different and you have this piece of music that should almost like elements from all the themes that we build up through the whole film should sum up everything in the end. So you have like a theme of friendship, a theme of island, a theme of these things that you have in this whole ending. Uh, that was one of the things that I noticed. The The music was definitely yeah. themed. You knew when you heard a given piece of music who it belonged to or mm. what the purpose was. Mm-hmm. Was that hard to temp with because you didn't have those themes? and you, Or what did you temp with? Anything? Uh, so we tempt a lot with classic music. And then for when things go wrong, Martin had this amazing Indonesian piece of music called Gamalang. And we use that for the montages of time passing of where he's like uh, not supposed to talk to him and they pass each other and time is passing. But then suddenly Carter came up with the elements from what we had, but in his own completely world. And it works really, re- that's obviously what's in the film. But it works really, really well. But it it has that strange feeling of this uh, awkwardness of time. And Martin brought all these tracks, like the opening, which is a Bulgarian choir. He just knew that has to be the start. And luckily, I would say it really worked. But it also has that quality of um, almost like a fairy tale that brought this idea of what happens if we enter the world to this island through the clouds and we find this person and we walk with him and it ends and that's where you start the most simple premise like someone who doesn't want to what's wrong why is he not <laughs> it <laughs> what's is going on it and- is the craziest simple movie that i have ever seen and that what's the premise well it's not even that they have a fight it's one guy stops liking another guy that is literally the premise of the movie and it is so riveting but what's really interesting about perspective is that we experience it with him. We question everything the exact same way as Porik does. And then he start, they start like, maybe you've been wrong. And then he's like, have we been? Maybe we have. And then you start questioning, okay, what's about this guy? And I found that it's a brilliant hook because it's so simple, but you engage me as an audience like crazy because I get interested in the backstory. What kind of relationship was it? What happened between the two of them? Why is he not talking to him? And then when he starts explaining, I'm like, hmm, that sounds reasonable enough. And the other one is like, what are you talking about? It's just 
good normal chatting. And then you start adding and adding and adding like the plots and the elements and the more and more characters into it and ask the different questions. So you engage everyone. Martin engaged everyone with the script. With the, I really like the script, but the, the way the balance of all the characters, I think, is working really, really well. And having the sister Siobhan almost like the heart of, of things, but she says a lot of the things that we're thinking ourselves. Uh, you mentioned, I want to jump backwards a little bit. You mentioned that yeah. uh, Martin watches the dailies. So mm. you are getting not just scripty notes from the script supervisor of what he thinks is the best. You're getting a note based on him rewatching outside of production. Yes. And he does that every night yeah. or, you know, on the weekends or he's a week behind you. I'm just interested in when he watches dailies as a director who's got a shepherd of production all day long. No, but this, uh, but the production is just us in the edit, right? Because they're done shooting when I show the first assembly. And then let's say that I showed it like two weeks after they finished shooting or one week after or so. And then just little by little, we can start with these scenes oh. and we can, we can start working on them. And he gives me notes or what takes to try. But also what I really liked about the whole process was that we were very um, focused. Mm-hmm. It was very pleasant, but very focused. I thought that you were saying that he watched the dailies and gave you all those line-by-line -line notes before you started editing, before the editor's cut. No, 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 no. Okay, after. He saw the whole thing. I even added, like, a temp music from other things just to see and just to try. And then and then we take it from there and we start, start over again. But it's more like to see the whole as a whole, and it's like, hmm. It's definitely a movie. Let's let's find it. Uh, <laughs> let's start digging in, right? And very fast, you can say, well, that's not right. These things. Let's take this scene out. Let's move this around. Just find the structure extremely fast. Let, okay, this completely works. So now let's start with the right take so we can see what does it actually do with the characters, where they are. And then you, you, you find out that maybe it's a little too much. Then you start playing around with it. Also because it gives me the understanding of, of what he likes and what he's going for in the scenes with the characters. It gave me a huge understanding. And to be honest, I try to be as open as possible for as long as possible. I mean, if I can wait with Sing or at least pointing out, this is what I like, this is what I don't, it's, it's playful. Because then we're just open to the whole process. A very astute observation, how long you take before you even try to inject yourself, your opinions into the process because of what that would do, right? I think so. If it's possible to, to not have an opinion as long as possible, it's very, there's a benefit in the end. Not that you don't have an opinion, but you're just not voicing it to him. No, and I'm not even sure that, it, that it's something that is necessary or that he wants it because Maybe he questions it himself. Maybe he's also trying and me just saying that that's good, that's bad. It's not a very useful commentary. Did you show him any cuts of scenes before you showed him the entire movie all at once? Were you sending him anything through pics or? Not at all. My assistant, Nicola, used to be John Gregory's assistant. Uh, so, so the whole team really invited me in. Uh, and, and she would do um, assemblies uh, for the shoot as well. But I never really looked at these scenes. I was just taking my time on my own just to organize things the way I like to organize things, which I use a lot of time on. Uh, 
So actually, I, I just look at footage and, and organize it and put it in the right order the way I like it to be structured. But it also gives me an idea, or at least for the first assembly, the rhythm of the film. So maybe I, I look at dailies or uh, material for the first three weeks. So um, and then I start editing a lot of the things. When you were you were saying you were organizing, are you organizing in a bin or are you organizing in sequences like uh, selects reels? Or both. I'm selecting in, in sequences. Yeah. The way they shot this is um, you have like a master and you have like a closer and, and the different ones. So I would organize it by sections and I would take all takes. I, I mark what I like when I watch it, but I'm not saying that this is the best or this is the one. I, I put everything in that sequence. Also, the things that doesn't work. Because sometimes there's just a small thing from an eye, a flinch, or a look, or something that, that's valuable. Then, uh, obviously, I have the script notes, which is helpful in that process, but more given that, that Martin would bring this afterwards, which he told me that was how he liked to work. So I would be like, well, then it for sure makes sense that I would put everything up against each other, because then you can easily see the different takes up against each other. Mm -hmm. And I would probably do that for the whole film. Yeah, I do the same thing. I think it's very valuable, especially when you're working with a director later. It is. You know, to be able to just go, here's yeah. here's the thing, here's the setup, here are the takes. But it's also just the feeling of you knowing what was shot and the material and you have laid it out. You can see it like, okay, we have this much and we have, mm -hmm. <laughs> we have whites of this, the opening, we have a closer, we have close-ups, we have tight ones. Um, it's very visual. You mentioned uh, the structure as well. And one of my big structural questions was the film does kind of start out as a comedy and it goes as a comedy for, for a while. And then there's a big tonal shift when the film turns a little darker. Was it a big question of how long you go before the tonal shift? Were you really trying to figure out, you know, we need to move this closer or we need to push it back so people have more, you know, fun time? Well, I would say how long can you walk back and forth before <laughs> you actually have the two of them having their first uh, like conversation. Okay. Why does this man not want to talk? And then the introduction of all the characters. But the darker thing, I would assume for you is when he starts saying like, uh, I'm going to cut off one of my fingers. <laughs> yeah, It takes a turn, which you didn't really guess, which is what I really liked also reading the script, that, that it's very unpredictable. But given that you might have seen other works of Martin, a character who talks about cutting off his fingers might actually <laughs> do it. So the time from him saying it to the time when you start seeing something with it. That was a section that we really worked a lot on because somehow you can't have too much time passing because then you disengage your audience. But it, it's more about let's try and be as simple as possible and tell this natural story and always go with our main character. Except when you bring in the other one, then you can bring in Calm's character and, and see him sit alone as well. That's very interesting that you feel like the space between claiming he's going to do something and whether he does it or not, that's really the critical thing more than just getting to that point from the beginning of the movie. No, it is. Because the thing is, how many repetitions can you have of such a thing? And from that point to cutting off his finger almost takes you like 20 mm. minutes. And I, I did uh, love the little 
uh, short montages you were talking that were kind of like chapter breaks. Did you try to theme those? Like I, I noticed birds, there's a lot of religious iconography, uh, landscapes, that kind of thing. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, we wanted the, the island and the nature to play a character, to bring that in as a character on this whole thing. And the and the loneliness, the sadness of these things. But then also all the animals, uh, them just looking at you. Almost like if you have like an arc that, that the animals are the only staying characters alive on this island because they're just so trustworthy and nice and they're just looking at you. The goats, the birds, but also use them not as metaphors, but like uh, warnings of what's going to happen. Like uh, the two birds, the one bird jumping award, uh, towards the other one, the goats looking at you. It, it just opens up some awkwardness. You get intimidated sometimes by this, these things, which is very interesting what that does, especially if you are in a cinema with a full audience, because you also get someone would laugh of this and then it opens up, it opens up and then suddenly you start also laughing about the things that you don't necessarily find and suddenly you choke yourself like, <laughs> can I really laugh at that? Is that really okay? Because then every time we had, we had like screenings for friends of Matt and watching it with, with an audience, you learn little by little, like how, how long can you engage people and how long a pause can that be? Is this uh, the right way to enter the scene or is this the right way to go out of the scene and, and all these things. And, and it had to feel very fresh, even though some sections are very slow, it shouldn't feel slow at all. And Martin wanted to create this beautiful, sad film. When did he tell you that? Uh, the, f the first meeting. Did that drive anything when you were looking at dailies, when you were looking at rushes? Did that thought, I want to make a beautiful, sad film, drive any of your decisions? No, because it's it's also about what is sadness and what is beauty. And he also said, I don't want it to be Irish in the tone, music-wise. It shouldn't be a traditional uh, Irish. We can go different places with the music. <laughs> like Indonesian, um, Bulgarian. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and he brought these, but he would send them while I was editing. He would more like giving it as suggestions. For me, I think, I, obviously, he wanted to try it when he got into the edit, for sure. But I think he more wanted to inspire maybe or say like this is what i thought for the opening or this is what i could be for this and this and this and then little by little you try finding these things and then should it be much darker should there be a uh, score uh, in the scenes as we talked a little earlier on uh, um, it's basically just about exploring and trying different mm -hmm. things right and then there's no right or wrong and to be honest the, the most uh, nerve-breaking for me was to show Mats in the first assembly because i knew he had previously a really really good relationship with john gregory who was an absolutely amazing editor and especially also with character work and suddenly i found myself because i tend to get like uh, sucked in and just really enjoy the whole process but but then a week before three four days before i had to show the full assembly i was more like hey wait a second i didn't even think of the consequences was it what if he doesn't like what i'm doing what what if i didn't uh, put anything in the right way so I texted him and said like well i don't know how you normally work but i hope that you know that the first assembly doesn't have the characters it doesn't have <laughs> these are things that we have to find all yeah. these things more like a, an idea of the whole thing you're basically saying 
we're going to get there even if the first assembly isn't correct, which it never is, right? I mean, most directors say the, the no, first assembly is yeah, yeah. you know, the worst thing they've ever seen, which is hard to hear as an editor. No, and he, Martin was very honest. He said that that's how he normally feels as well. But actually, I had okay. a sense that he liked it. I don't know if he was surprised or anything, but he, he was like, mm, this is a good starting point. And how long did you have after you showed him the film before you locked? Maybe November last year. And then we worked until we started having previews in February or March or so. And we locked by April, May or so. Okay. Tell me about those previews. You said that they did affect you. They were something that you learned from. What changed or what did you learn from those previews? It was mostly trying things with the characters. And also the pace of the feeling, the emotion, music-wise, should this be this heavy? But that's the beauty of what we do is that it's almost like everything little by little by little by little by little by little by little. You'd learn so much just from one round. And just the fact that you sit in a room with friends, or it can be just an, an audience or anything, and you and you sense and you feel... Is it lacking? Is it is it slow? Is it fun? I was very surprised how long a laugh can be, for example, because I've never really tried it that much before. So I needed to feel like, oh, we're giving too much information right after the laugh. We need just a little moment of pause or these things. And then it's about simplicity, really, to to say, like, do we really need to tell this? I mean, it's all what's in between the, the edits, right? Why do I need to edit? There has to be a reason for it with the characters and to try and find little by little all the characters. And then suddenly, like, okay, can we strengthen the character? Is Siobhan too strong in the scene to compare to how Horrig is in the scene? Or what if we did like this and this? How much do we tell with Dominic, uh, his character? It's about trying to find that balance of... of um... Did you have different temperatures for some of the performances where you could say, I want Siobhan to be angrier, I want her to be sweeter or whatever? Yes, we did with all the characters for sure. Especially the places where it's not necessarily you know where they should be or should it be higher, should it be lower. It was all there and you could you could really play with these things, especially with the with the Collins character, uh, uh, Porik, because it's a very fine line from being like a dull, dim person and then just being dumb or you not uh, uh, trusting him or these things. It's also that they're trusting him as a director a lot with giving all these uh, different nuances of, of the things. And Martin is really, really, really uh, good at knowing the temperature of where he wants things to be. And I really trusted him obviously on that because I know that that he, he's really good at especially with the funnier part, but also on the Irish because I'm not Irish. <laughs> not at all Irish. So just to understand the difference in the nuances of, of, of mm -hmm. the, the language as well. But actually, that was really nice because I could also lean a little bit back and then look at other things and then trust him because he, he obviously knows what he wants. And then I could come up with suggestions. He was extremely open for any suggestions and trying things, but also very convinced if something has to be the exact right. And I would be like, are you really sure? I'm very positive. It has to be like this. And then we try it and you see it and it will work. That is a, definitely a gift. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, when he watches dailies early on that he has specific line readings that he likes, but I'm sure those things changed as you saw them in context and you, you chose those tonal performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And sometimes you would go with less comedic because it is funny and it's more serious in the tone, especially with Colin's character. And he would do it more naturally or more neutral. With the screenings, did your chapter breaks expand or accordion you know get bigger or longer 
when you saw the, how much the audience was either they needed to think or they were getting bored? Because those chapter breaks are short. For those who haven't seen the film, we're talking about some of them are like three shots. I mean, obviously they change because if the movie changes, uh, they have to change as well. Everything has to have a certain pace. And if you suddenly shorten that section, that section has to follow up. But um, given that we would uh, give those sections in the temp score, especially like a theme, like let's just say Horik uh, questioning why does he not want to be friends with me anymore? We would have like a small piece of uh, a piano from, I think it's a, an American composer called Amy Beach. And uh, it was just a very, very short, do, 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 something that just follows, but you start thinking it's like a repetition. So you're like, okay, now it happened. And then Oh, now it's again about why he's <laughs> he doesn't want to be friends or why was he not was he smoking? Of course, you can't smoke when you're asleep. Or was he asleep? No, you can't smoke when he's asleep. So it's like the same thing. It's like repetitions, repetitions, repetitions. Just like the language, the Irish language, the whole idea of them repeating a lot of the lines, which almost makes you take things in a second time again, just understanding a little bit, which is interesting. And we played with that. So some of the things I felt in the script when I read it, I felt, and 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 and, and I might be completely wrong, but I felt like uh, the, it has these universal questions and these universal themes. If you look at like, for example, the music piece being used when uh, Porik uh, loses his head, it's very sad, but it also opens up. It becomes very universal, a feeling of that. And you see, even see the sky and you see the landscape. It becomes very moving. And using that same piece also in the back end when he starts burning the whole house. So that's where you start bringing the emotions from the scenes over there to the other one when he's burning down his house. And somehow you just have a little bit of time contemplating or thinking about what actually just happened. But maybe even you also bring in your own stuff. And sometimes you engage people and sometimes you don't. It also depends on the mood. But it just felt um, there was something about this uh, story for me that felt very emotional. How this small, simple thing can create this much drama. <laughs> yeah, drama. It's so simple and it, it becomes about it becomes about mm -hmm. everything around it and less about <laughs> the, the thing itself. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times that you were kind of using those little chapter breaks as a place for someone to put themselves into the into the story. You know, yeah. that you it gives you the time to think about how you feel or even outside of the story. Like I found myself thinking that this has happened to me. I had a friend, like he stopped being my friend for like, how did that happen? And so you start injecting mm -hmm. yourself in, and those mm -hmm. chapter breaks mm -hmm. give you a chance to do that. Cause otherwise you're watching the film and you're engaged in that story. Had Martin seen, um, uh, sound of metal? I don't know. I mean, we didn't really talk about it in that sense. No, just curious, you know, uh, uh... no, I never asked why he brought me in. Uh, why, why me? Why not? Uh, there's a hundred other people who, who, um but but um potentially the tone of the performances is big for me the the fact that you know maybe his favorite take of a performance wouldn't be the right 
tone and the tone is more important than the specific performance if it's taking the tone in the wrong direction is really interesting but that's little by little right because you try and take what you really like and then you find out that cheese on cheese is not better on the bread so so and no but it, it's also about status in a scene and about the characters in the scene and when it becomes almost like a battle then sometimes you have an actor who's just killing it and going away with it but then and then you have uh, the other ones down here and then what do you do do you go with that or do you try to tone that down so everyone becomes equal and suddenly it's everyone who's good which is the 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 interesting part like little by little and then you find that small look and and that completely changes everything in the scene or who actually has the last word in the scenes and we would definitely play a lot a lot around with that and martin knows exactly what he likes very much but he's also very open if you have a suggestion of something different and he senses it and feel it he's very open to say like that's that's better that's interesting mm. let's go with that for sure uh that's interesting that you say you know you were deciding on who to end the scene on so did you find that even with someone who had written the script you were getting in and out of scenes differently than the script shortening things coming in later leaving earlier yeah sometimes of course yeah and it's also about rhythm and it also might be about if there's a scene that you take out and there's a natural way to that scene mm -hmm. so you have to find a solution let me give you an example and normally we wouldn't talk so much about because uh, it's it's giving a little bit away but anyhow who's listening to this <laughs> if they haven't seen the film so so the moment where where Kong throws all his fingers at the door and you have this uh, wide uh, drone shot of him walking away from the house and they're uh, walking to and it almost becomes like a, that's like a slow motion sequence of him where you go down and you see his bloody hand and it becomes very like holy shit this is and they see it and they're walking towards it so you 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 sense this uh, like they are definitely gonna meet now and what just happened this like what the fuck just happened now <laughs> Then Siobhan is saying like, hurry, come. And she wants to leave immediately. It's such a strong feeling of this interaction between Colm and Porik and Siobhan because she's, she's really engaged in these scenes. So it's so much, what the fuck did you say to him? And she's packing and she's leaving and it becomes extremely sad. And then suddenly you have to go back and you have to say like ah now he's walking and now oh wait a second what's that why the blood over there and often these things can be very difficult like uh, the understanding or the the thinking of like we want you to think immediately about this trace walking towards the trace and like feeling oh my god no that's not what they're gonna do and how do we do that how do we bring your memory to jenny because he just actually waved at his sister and it's very very sad and it was solved by a very simple way that after Colm leaves them in front of the house and she's saying like, Pori, come on, you start the scene on Jenny just standing in the doorway because we had placed her multiple place and she's just looking at them. And then she's leaving the house. So you bring him as a natural story. Obviously, they come back. She's there. What's going on? She's a curious creature. This miniature donkey. Um, but the next time when he's coming back, you've already noticed that, of course, she's interested in these things. And she's also present because she hasn't been there for a long time. And that would be like the key to understand how emotional it becomes then when he's walking around and watching the death of, uh, of Jenny. You mentioned that you were... You played around a lot, I think, with the end of the, the structure of the end as, you know, how do you reveal Siobhan leaving, uh, what happens after Siobhan leaves? You know, talk to me about trying to figure out how to end the movie. 
what's great about Martin script is that it gives you the options to try the different things. Sometimes you need to go on, on, a, on a high note or a low note or whatever it is, right? But you need to find the simplicity. And it's also about where did you end up with the two characters standing on the beach? Where are they? And how much do you believe Horik's uh, natural travel towards that? There's no way out now, right? He lost everything. There's no way he's going to ever... <laughs> come back and and have this two o'clock beer with this guy maybe or maybe not that's that's what raises the question and then the circle was to find that you dig into the the island and you also go into something where you find a guy walking towards us and then you you have this same guy walking away and you leave the island the same way and that's almost like a circle again which is kind of what we we actually discussed it the last time we talked uh, on sound of metal that you have the similar shot of the same character but in Book two ends. completely different ways and it's a little bit the same yeah it bookends it's a little bit the same that we were trying to find in this like you enter something and then you go out almost like it's a slice of time that you dig into how many days or weeks you're there uh or almost like a fable, you go into this and then the story ended on the narrator. That was the idea, but just with music. It's not right what I say when we structured it a lot, but it, it's more about trying to find the simplicity in the scenes and also just go with the story all the time, go with the character, move with him. How, how, how little do we need to know of all the different things? The natural story, basically. And hopefully we succeeded on a lot of these things. And then also it should feel like there are more and more and more animals coming into the film, which is like a whole chapter itself. How do you work with animals? Because, I mean, they're so beautiful, and but it's also just so sad when he's lying there on his own, longing for his sister, that whole thing. How little can you tell to get the story and to get the emotion? That's a great description of an editor right there. <laughs> Um, Mikkel, thank you so much for all your time. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Uh, it's, uh, uh, I just loved it. And thank uh, you. thanks for your work on it. That's it for Art of the Cup this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you'd prefer to read this interview with visual support and clips and trailers, head on over to aotc.borisfx.com slash art dash of dash the dash cut, where there's a ton of great expert content for filmmakers of all types. Also, check out my book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors, for a topic-driven curated look at the craft of editing. Thanks to our guest, Mikkel E.G. Nielsen, ACE. Thanks to Nathan Blakely for editing today's podcast. And thanks to our partner, Boris FX, and to our sponsor, Jump Desktop. Be sure to check them out at borisfx.com and jumpdesktop.com cut. I'm Steve Hallfish. Thanks for listening. And please tell all the editors and filmmakers that you know that they should subscribe right here for more great Art of the Cut interviews every week.